In this episode of Stories from the Atlantic, we go on a hike up along the edge of a canyon leading to Iceland's tallest waterfall, Glimr. On a sunny May morning, I drove from my summer house located near the falls into Kvalfjörður, a fjord carved out by Ice Age glaciers, where the former highway now offers a winding scenic byway with mountains and water on either side. At the bottom of the fjord, a few miles from what used to be an American Army naval base, now the location of Iceland's only whale hunting company, I turned off the main road, along a gravel road, up the valley Botstallur. From the parking lot, I walked along the dirt path, through small birch forests, where birds sang, but my recorder was turned off. Same story for the edge of the cliff, before going down to the river, where I crossed it by wading over large boulders holding onto a metal wire, then making my way up the steep trail, holding onto wires and chains at various places, focused on the need to record the ultimate subject, the waterfall, with the only pair of battery I had with me. So it became a reverse process, starting near the top, where I began to ask people, about anything else but the actual waterfall behind us. Angela and Logan from Kentucky told me of some of the highlights that define the state in the United States of America, where they are from. Uh, bluegrass. And Mammoth Cave and... Um, the Kentucky Derby. Kentucky Derby, yeah. It's one of the big races. It's There's... the biggest race in the world for horses, so, yeah. Have you been? No, we have not yet. So we've been to <laughs> yes, we've been to like Churchill Downs, but not to the actual Kentucky Derby. So the Kentucky Derby is at Churchill Downs, and it's a very pretty area. And so, getting a ticket to the Kentucky Derby is that an issue, or is it a <laughs> price thing? You're laughing. Both, <laughs> both. So you have to enter a lottery to actually get good seats, and then if you actually want good seats, a lot of times those like seats are at well, no, they're thousands. Thousands well, of dollars. Where you want to sit. Yeah, if you want a good seat, you're you're going to pay thousands of dollars. But you can also sit in the infield where the horses run around, and then that's around 100 bucks too. So who goes to the Kentucky Derby? Aside from people that have it on their bucket list, they wish to go there, is it the upper class? Is it politicians? Is it Both. everyone? Yeah, a lot of people go. Some celebrities you, go. Celebrities go, yeah. So like movie stars, stuff like that go too. Well, uh, Jennifer Lawrence was there this year. Yeah, Jennifer Lawrence. Um, I don't know, like net NBA players. Yeah, who probably went to UK yeah. or U of L. Our big like, colleges there. We're yeah. really big on basketball too. But in terms of the horses, anybody know the name of the horses or the jockeys? I mean, who cares about famous people? <laughs> so we, I think we remember. Some people remember like some of the horses' names, like uh, Secretariat, who was like the Triple Crown winner. So they won like several different horse races. Um, I don't remember who won this year. <laughs> For some reason, that's bad of me. Bluegrass? Is it actually blue? Yes. Kind of, yeah. It has a blue color. I disagree. I feel like it's just green. <laughs> it has a blue tent. Okay. It's well, not like actual blue blue. Yeah. <laughs> I went from Kentucky bluegrass to the other side of the world by asking Cody Tennant and Maros Lipa about waterfalls in Australia. Australia, the land of waterfalls? Absolutely not. No, there's not too many waterfalls in Australia. What are you talking about? Oh, no, where I've been. Yeah, yeah, he's joining. Well, I'm, well, I'm proponent, but I live in Australia. Yeah, but uh, there's so many waterfalls in uh, in Australia. Give, uh, give us yeah. a few names. Then. Uh, well, Wendworth Falls, the first Katoomba Falls, Empress Falls, uh, well, uh, Wallamombi well, Falls, Falls, Abor Falls. Yeah, you see? Uh, it's it's like hundreds there, of them. There's a lot more than yeah. I Yeah, okay, now you think about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, like a cascading uh, down, and there's not many uh, single drops. Uh, 
well, I don't know. They're not at high, definitely. The comparison to Iceland is bound to make most countries seem like wastelands, as waterfalls are a defining feature of a country that goes from a highland plateau in the middle of the country to the sea, with countless rivers flowing from glaciers and springs. Waterfalls have therefore become a symbol for two opposing ideas in Iceland, one being energy production with hydroelectric dams, and the other relating to environmentalism with the idea that rivers should flow freely, falling majestically over edges of cliffs to the enjoyment of humans. A footnote, of course, would include that there are also the grey sites, the nuances of people that are somewhere in between. The subject, on the other hand, has defined politics, ideology and business by an almost black-and-white distinction for or against industrialists versus environmentalists, a polarizing debate that began in the early 20th century when the nation's most cherished poet, Einar Ben, a lawyer by trade, began buying up water rights funded by foreign investors. On the other side of the coin was another poet, Thorsteinn Erlingsson, who lived at the same time and wrote poetry, which symbolized the beauty and the untamed nature of rivers. Fast forward, and you have a nation with abundant resources from hydro, having already dammed large portions of it, supplying a demand from heavy industry, but close to 80% of all electricity produced in Iceland goes to aluminium smelters. The economic policy of developing heavy industry in Iceland was implemented in the mid-20th century and was the foundation for large-scale hydroelectric projects, as well as moving the country from being the poorest in Western Europe to one of the richest. No local industry nor household demand could ever use up enough energy to justify large-scale dams, which eventually did lower the price of energy, though especially to the big buyers. More than a decade after the building of Europe's largest hydroelectric dam, Kauranjukar, the debate still rages, now with the so-called Kvalarvirkjun in the West Fjords, splitting public opinion in a black-and-white battle. But Iceland's problem with water relates to its abundance. Australia, on the other hand, battles the opposite. Not, 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 not too often, but we do often have water restrictions come in um, in terms of when you're allowed to say water lawns and, and things like that. And yeah, they do come into play. Um, it affects obviously farmers and... Um, Definitely you catch the rainwater. Like every uh, household got like a water tank on the back of the house or wherever and they catch the uh, rainwater. So yeah, uh, uh, sure the water is... Uh, it's valued and you know, more, pressure, more pressure. More pressure. More pressure. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Yeah. In yeah. perception, at yeah. least. Like we live in an uh, uh, area where we don't really have much problem with water, but mm. especially in the middle, like a you know desert, and Lots, people get yeah. uh, problems with it, and they have big cattle stations, like uh, big farms, mm. and they struggle. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they just have to you know kill their animal, the stock, because they cannot. Uh, you know, provide water and feed because of the droughts, yeah. yeah. Different places, different problems. And even though the interior of Iceland is also a desert, like Australia, the agriculture is mostly limited to the areas closer to the sea. I asked how this place, the bountiful water, made them feel. No, I always feel very small. Uh, and I have a great respect to... Well, the mountains especially, but the waterfall like this one, yeah, um, it's just amazing. Uh, yeah, I just feel small, like I'm so unimportant, you know, and you feel like that. Everything is so big and 
you just realize it when you're actually close to it. Yeah, this is how I feel. Yeah, I always think like that we think we own the world, but actually, yeah. and what also um, make me realize when I see things like that that we are not we are watching everything like from outside. We're not a part of it anymore. We just come to see things, but we are kind of away from it. I don't know if you understand what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Like people used to be and live, you know, uh, in harmony with nature. We kind of like away from it now. And yeah, we come to see it, but we're not part of it anymore. That's how I feel. Yeah. Walking towards the top, I thought about his words, but related to them in a different way. I agree that we are spectators to nature, but instead of speaking of harmony with nature, I thought of the times when people utilized it on a smaller but daily basis. Fetching water from rivers, fishing salmon in rivers, washing clothes in rivers, and then making small amounts of energy from rivers for the farm. Now everything is large-scale, and we are spectators to nature, able to philosophize the current situation with bellies full and electricity at the flip of a switch. At the top of the barren canyon edge, with the bird fulmar nesting in the vertical cliffs in abundance, the river plunges down 198 meters, roughly 600 feet, into an abyss of water and mist. The white and gray seabirds squawk and a lone black raven hovers through the narrow canyon, a thief without a disguise. Last time I saw the waterfall was from the window of Iceland's Coast Guard helicopter, joining a routine practice in late autumn of 2017. Now, I was among the large group of possible victims to be rescued, as tourists make up a growing number of rescue missions, be it hikers in the highlands or drivers on the highway, speeding and overtaking, being a common risk factor. As I made my way down, the conversation I had with Markus Schneider flowed towards a natural state, which in our case were podcasts. Oh God, you want to see my list? I yeah, don't know. There are a lot of German ones in there. Okay, uh, so 99% Invisible, yeah. Accidental Tech Podcast, German show Alternativlos, uh, This American Life, mm, Das AD Radio Feature, okay. always very cool. Oh, and I recently started with Autoline. There's a lot of car podcasts, very interesting. Uh, some about German Bundesbahn, Bahn podcast. Is uh, podcasts? Yeah. So it's about trains? Yeah, yeah. I s just started listening to it. And it's is it any good? It's interesting because uh, you always get this uh, backside perspective that as a regular traveler you don't get. Then, yeah, uh, Chaos Radio, which is uh, very good. It's, uh, again, one of those uh, German computer uh, geeky podcasts. I don't know. This Clean one, electric. I heard this, this is great. Ear hustle. Ear hustle, yeah. But I'm, I, I stopped listening to it. Uh, it's, yeah, it's from, from uh, out of a prison. And uh, ooh, Elementarfragen, it's another one of those um, very uh, long German podcasts. Here, this, the latest one is about a guy, Gerd Postel. Gerd Postel is an amazing story, as I found out later, of a trained mailman from Germany who twice conned his way into the position of a medical professional, the latter as a senior physician in a Saxon psychiatric hospital. Though the podcast in question was in German, I later found an interview from 2001, which will be up on our website, outlining the fascinating story of a man who had a personal vengeance against the German health system, which had treated his mother's depression with stimulating drugs, while the underlying problem 
led to her death by suicide. Gert Postel applied for the job, lying about his background and using medical jargon to talk his way into a profession he saw as flawed when it came to treating patients. After 18 months, he was found out, went on the run and eventually served time in prison, but stands by his critical view of the medical profession being flawed and that he could do things better than the specialists. The extraordinary story he then published in a book, which was a satirical autobiography in German. Another good podcast Markus listens to is Causality. Because it's always interesting, you know, why stuff happens and, and how it happened and, and what was the engineering failure behind it and so on. Are you an engineer? No, no not really, a patent engineer. So You're a patent engineer? Yeah, yeah, it's a mixture between engineering and, uh, yeah, Heuristical lawyer stuff, yeah. Yeah, you, so you make between, sure yeah. that a million dollar uh, idea gets protected, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. No, yeah. Not, not me, but the patent attorneys I'm working for, yeah. How do you find a time lot. to listen to all of these? I mean, that's a lot of hours. While listening. I'm working, no. <laughs> While I'm walking around and then doing house stuff, okay, so shopping, you, yeah. So you very consistently listen yeah, to shows yeah, at yeah. every opportunity. And always with uh, 1.5 speed. You, do, you don't do it? 1.5 speed? Yeah. No. No. I never tried it. You should. You, you get used to it. It's like speed reading. After a certain time, it just everything else seems to be slow. On his way up, with friends and his girlfriend, was Yiri Kudelchik, a muscular young man, to say the least, who frequently hikes in the high Tatras in the neighboring country, Slovakia. He being from the Czech Republic. Because it's uh, one of the... Uh, biggest, biggest mountains in the middle, uh, middle of Europe. Yeah, and the nature is beautiful. Not like here in Iceland, but it's very beautiful too. So when you go there, do you go hiking, walking or climbing? Are you a mountaineer? I prefer hiking. Yeah. It's uh, better for me because I am, I am a little bit bigger than the normal climber on the wall. So I prefer hiking. And hiking is uh, for my uh, cleaning mind. I cleaning my if I go to the nature to the mountains I cleaning mind here. I'm wild and I'm a free in, in the nature so it's good. Yiri standing next to the highest waterfall in Iceland is himself in the top category when it comes to strength being a strong man on an international level but Iceland is home to many of the leading figures of which one stands out. Yeah, okay. So my favorite strongman is uh, from Iceland. It's called not Thor Bjornsson, but Jon Paul Sigmarsson. He's, he's died, you, you know him. And uh, before this trip, we go to the graveyard and, and say him hello. Yeah, so it's my uh, favorite strongman. It's... Uh, we paid our respects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's iconic, iconic people for me. So what was it about uh, Jon Paul Sigmarsson that was so unique as opposed to some of the other ones? Because he is not only strong, he is uh, very charismatic people and if Jon Paul Sigmarsson uh, go somewhere, you know that, that, he, that he come, yeah? You feel something you know, like power or something like magic, I, I don't know exactly, but he is, he is nice. If, if you saw some uh, films or video with him, I say, oh fuck. I want to be like, uh, like him, not, uh, not copy, but it's a uh, good ideology for me. Yeah? I want to win in uh, category 105. It's not so popular in strongmen uh, here in Iceland, but uh, in, in the world it's very popular yeah? in uh, 105. I'm a European champion, so this year I, I have to win the awards. Here was the strongest man in a category of 105 kilos in Europe, a way to measure strength in humans.
At the same time, a certain amount of water flowed from the lake Kvalva, or Whale Lake, a 160-meter-deep lake on top of the mountain, feeding the highest waterfall in Iceland. And then we have the measurement of what water can translate to in energy units, kilowatts, megawatts, or terawatts, an engineering equation based on flow, drop, angle, and other factors, which then meet the measurement of impact, whether environmental impact or financial benefits of using water for energy or to let it flow for the sake of aesthetic appreciation, now more than ever translating into financial benefits of tourism. But at the start of the national debate about hydroelectric energy, it was put in context with the national psyche, which was in tune with free-flowing water. Whether you followed me through that super simplification of some of the big aspects, I simply ask you now to follow me safely down the trail, where I began asking people what they would be doing on a normal weekday back home, if not here, hiking to the tallest waterfall in Iceland, to which Rachel and James Osborne, on their honeymoon, replied, One o'clock. Uh, I would be sitting at a desk, <laughs> wasting my life away behind a desk doing work instead of doing this. So I'm, Same here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I'm happy where I'm at right now. So it's a desk. Mm-hmm. A desk. Well, people can save the world behind a desk. Yeah, mm-hmm. not with my job. It's pretty boring. <laughs> what about you? Well, I, I actually, I'm, I'm a sales director for fitness clubs for a university. So I try to think that I'm saving the world by making people fit, but um, I'd much rather still be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a balance. It's a life-work balance, right? She's staying. She's staying fit right now with this hike. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you, keeping me fit with this hike. I'm trying. Another couple sat down at Svedjunas, a popular viewpoint, with sheer drop and no fence or ropes around. And the man controlled a high-pitched hissing drone, which he used to take their photo. Smart idea, but it felt as far from romantic as possible. But then again, I might just be old-fashioned. On the way down, past various sizes of streams flowing towards the canyon, adding to the already large amount of water flowing below, I met Susan and Joe, whose office jobs spell water or lack of. Um, for me, it's, it's water resources. So um, making sure uh, the city has water for all the people who live there. Is that an issue with that city? I, uh, we're from Los Angeles, so it's very dry. It's a... Uh, a desert, really, so we import a lot of water from other places in Los Angeles. So Central Valley, the aqueduct, 10-year droughts. Yep, yep, Yeah, all not that. the easiest job in the world. Yeah, exactly, so. Any, uh, any good solutions? Um, conservation for us. So um, just uh, getting the message out there to conserve water. So um, a lot of people are not watering their lawns or making sure they have water-efficient plants, um, taking shorter showers, um, there's a lot of stuff with recycled water going on. Uh, you know, Los Angeles is in California, um, but there's other states like Arizona and Nevada, and um, they don't have grass because there's just not enough water. And so I think right now we're really trying to change the culture in Los Angeles to kind of get away from that green lawn that doesn't necessarily make sense for a desert climate and to go with more, um, how do you say, water-efficient landscapes, that's what they call it. So. It's, it's going okay. There's people who like their lawns. All right, and you, sir? It's uh, 1.15 p.m. on a Thursday? <laughs> I do the exact same thing as she does. Um, <laughs> so we, <work> <laughs> we both work uh, for the city of Los Angeles uh, for the water system. Um, right now, I'd be, I'm more on the construction side, so I'd probably be in a meeting uh, 
monitoring construction, uh, getting progress updates, schedule updates, uh, resolving issues involving you know whatever particular project I'm working on at the moment. What comes to mind here? A lot of water. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just because you know it's we work in that field. Um, there's a lot of water here, so it's really cool to see. Yeah, just a lot of natural beauty. A lot of natural beauty. Very beautiful. Very green. You know, in Los Angeles, it's pretty brown most of the year. It's very hot. So. Yeah. Uh, and the only civil engineering we see is, I mean, basically. Yeah, the, the little stakes with the ropes. <laughs> yeah, the, the little metal stakes, the little handheld rope, and yeah. it's pretty makeshift. Yeah, it's, this it's, would probably not uh, this would probably not stand city regulation no, <laughs> probably not but that's okay that's why we like traveling and going other places so yeah, it's actually, very different we were here uh, we saw the other day there is drinking fountains somewhere here and uh, it was more closer to Reykjavik but uh, there's drinking fountains and they just run continuously yeah. and you just walk up and take a sip and they never turn off so and for it's you crazy. that's that's oh, like no, insane yeah, you wouldn't yeah. it, that doesn't happen at least not in not in Southern California so yeah. other parts of the U.S. have more water, but not not where we are. So yeah. I'd spent around three hours hiking up and down, talking to fellow hikers when I finally made it down to the river crossing where a long line of people waited to cross along the narrow metal wire, a somewhat daunting task for some as the water flowed fast over large and slippery boulders. On the other side was a group of friends preparing for the hardest part of the commute to Glimmer Waterfall. I asked Ankit Avi Moharen Adeptia what the main challenges were back home in their daily lives. Uh, my daily challenge would be uh, waking up on time. Mine too. I, I said, <laughs> I said, on just normal day, I'd set five to ten alarms. On an important day, fifteen alarms. So <laughs> I have, I have problem challenges waking up when I need to wake up, so that I don't get rushed in the morning. Do you know why that is? I mean, are you just like sleep drugged? I just like sleep a lot, like a lot. Yeah, that's why I like working out at night, because then I don't have to wake up to work out. I just work out at night and go to sleep. Makes sense. Okay, anybody else that has any situation with a daily challenge? Uh, I'd probably say having to drive up and down to class every day, or like whenever I do have classes. Yeah. I think driving in where we live, especially, there's a lot of traffic, so, and it could be really long drives to just to get to, like, you know, a grocery store or even to go, get to a gas station or work, class, anything. So give me Sometimes, an idea of time, and, and first of all, where, where is it? Where is uh, we're from New Jersey, which is in the USA, like, just south of New York. Um, well, it, it could be something as simple as he said about, like, going to get into the grocery store or something like that. But uh, sometimes you have to plan it out in such a way so that you don't, you know, don't hit the rush hour traffic. So sometimes you have to leave super early just so that you can get there in 45 minutes instead of an hour and a half. And then, you know, you're stuck there doing nothing for an hour because you left so early. So it's, you know, whether are you going to sit in the sit in the traffic for an hour and a half or are you going to take 45 minutes to get to where you have to get to and then do nothing for 45 minutes is just having to do all that planning sometimes just uh, takes uh, takes a lot out of you. Have you done anything that, uh, in terms of changing the way you do things? Stopped using a car, taken public transport, changed your jobs, quit school? <laughs> quit school. Um, 
No, I mean, uh, yeah, I do take the public transport sometimes because I found that to be easier, but that takes actually more time. Um, but at least it gives me the luxury of I can do whatever I want for like now it takes me like an hour 45 minutes from my house to my class yeah so it adds time to my commute but at least now I know I can do whatever I want on the train or you know basically so it's more relaxing which at least you know takes some of the stress away of driving so what do you think about this is this stressful is this uh, definitely is this stressful like but I wouldn't say impossible like he likes to say Definitely, definitely more fun than my drive, I'd say. <laughs> On the last leg of the journey, away from the roar and trickle of the river and its adjacent streams, I walked towards a small birch forest with a breeze and a steady stream of people going the opposite way to the waterfall. Among them was an Algerian man living in Iceland, carrying quality binoculars on a mission to track down the ptarmigan, a common bird in Iceland, belonging to the genus Lagopus of the grouse family, Tetraonitae. Simply known as Rupa in Icelandic, it changes color from winter to summer, from white to brown, and is a popular prey for hunters in the autumn, a time when said hunters venture towards the highlands, a time of sudden storms and subsequent danger. But on this day, the sun shined and weapons were out of sight, as I left the Botnstallur, or Bottom Valley, back to the city, back to the computer, back to the concrete existence that has swallowed up the majority of the world, where waterfalls are limited to the tap, the shower, and the flush. Thanks for joining me on this hike, and I hope you'll join me next week for something in Stories from the Atlantic.